Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can have a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. We are in week two of our new series called Reassembly Required, where we've been talking about how to get from where we are to where we want to be and all the most important relationships in our life. And last week, we talked about the surprising secret to every relationship ever. It's something God actually knit into the fabric of the universe. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to take a little bit of time this week and go back and and listen to that message because it kind of sets the stage for the whole rest of the series. But let me catch you up real quick this morning. The surprising secret to every relationship ever is a really simple principle found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the secret sauce, you guys. And not only is it super easy to understand, it's super easy to put into practice, right? Not right. No one's face is making me feel like I was right about that. And here I thought, after my great sermon last week, you would have all just walked out of here and submitted all over the place, put other people's needs above your own and realized this is so fun and easy and simple. I'm just going to do it forever and never struggle with it. I did not think that at all. Like, this is crazy hard to live out. And there are a few reasons for that. We talked about a few of them last week. One is that we're sinful and sin and submission are polar opposites. They're like oil and water. They just don't mix. Sin actually weaved its way into the human story because of our refusal to submit to God. Also, we have some bad examples out there. And it's a struggle because our world looks at submission and paints a picture that looks nothing like what God is actually inviting us into here, but it still twists our understanding of what this might mean, especially in our closest and most intimate and vulnerable relationships like marriage. And marriage is hard enough without bad pictures of what it's supposed to be. Jenny and I have been married for 16 years, and if you can believe it, we still fight. And marriage is special because fighting's open 24 hours a day. A couple weeks ago, we, went out, we got in a fight in the middle of the night. We woke up for this fight. One of our twins walked in with a bloody nose, and so we got him a tissue, and then Jenny said, you need to go lay in his bed. And I said, I don't think that's going to stop the bleeding. <laughs> like, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure the only medically significant consequence of me laying in his bed is going to be I wake up with a sore back. And apparently stopping the bleeding wasn't the point or something like that. But a few days ago, actually, we, we got in an argument and she came crawling in on her hands and knees. She crawled in and said, get out from under that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. <laughs> That's a joke. That one did not happen. <laughs> The other one, unfortunately, did, but I want to clarify that that's a joke just for her sake, because it's got to be hard to be Jenny and be the other person in all of my marriage stories, but she's my only wife, so it just goes with the territory. But here's the deal, you guys. There are always going to be issues when sinners say, I do. Every marriage in the history of humanity has required a little reassembly from time to time, and what I want to do this morning is take a look at what this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ looks like 
in our marriages. And so if you're married or you ever hope to be married, this is critically important stuff for you. And if you're sitting here today and you're happily single, that's awesome and you're awesome, but you don't get to take a nap because number one, this stuff applies to all relationships. And number two, you know some married people and you have influence over them. You have the opportunity to speak life into them and add value to them and bless them. And that's kind of the overarching big idea of this whole reassembly required series. And so in a less direct way, this is for you too. And this morning, we're going to dive right in, just like last week. I'm going to lay all my cards on the table right here at the beginning, and we'll go from there, all right? If the secret to reassembling broken relationships is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, then this is inescapably true. Marriages flourish when they are a submission competition, They thrive when both people are fighting to get up under the needs of the other person in order to bless their spouse. And this morning, I want to dig into why that's the case, what it looks like, and how we do it. What, why, and how. All right, so first things first. Why should a marriage be a submission competition? And the simple answer is this. The weight of our worship will crush anything but God. I realize that sounds like a completely crazy, nonsensical answer for the question I just asked, but let me explain. I think sometimes we're tempted to serve for a reason other than worshiping God. And this happens in in all of our relationships. And the problem with most marriages isn't the institution of marriage. It's our understanding of what it's supposed to look like. It's all the expectations that we bring to the table. And when we bring a whole set of expectations about what marriage should be or, or ought to be or what we want our marriage to be and it doesn't line up with those expectations, then we get mad at marriage and we get frustrated and we decide that something must be broken that isn't actually broken. The only thing that's broken is our understanding. And often, our motivation. Notice Paul didn't just say submit to one another. That's a good, helpful thing to say, but he didn't stop there. He went further and told us why. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because you love Jesus and you're trying to serve him, put other people's needs above your own. And we don't talk about this very often, but if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we submit to one another. Sometimes we serve the people around us for a reason other than God, out of some motivation that isn't worship, right? And in marriage, frequently we do it because we're worshiping ourselves. We treat our spouses like a vending machine. Like if I put in the right amount of serving, I ought to be able to get out what I want. I ought to be able to to get my needs met and my desires met and my agenda met. And oftentimes that's what gets us into relationships in the first place, right? It's all about me. And I'd love to stand up here and pretend that I'm above that this morning. But as a teenager, that's 100% why I went looking for a girl, right? It was about what I could get out of it. And it was about finding someone who could meet my needs. And in all the dreaming I ever did about what marriage would look like, I can't ever remember thinking about how I could become the perfect person for someone else. I just dreamed about finding the perfect person for me. And then I found Jenny, and I brought her wedding ring and my expectations to the altar. And honestly, they seem pretty sensible to me. Like, why wouldn't anybody want to organize their life around my dreams, you know? The only issue was that she brought my wedding ring and her expectations to the altar, and in a shocking twist of fate, they weren't perfectly aligned. We had some different ideas in our minds, and our task was to go paint a life together. And that's not a unique situation. That's marriage, 
But the problem so many people in our world run into is that after the wedding, we have a sense deep down inside us that we are owed our expectations and we put the weight of them on another person. When they don't meet our expectations, when they crumble under that weight, we get mad. We get mad at them or we get mad at the marriage and we decide that something is irreparably broken. And something is broken. There's reassembly required. The foundation is cracked because the foundation of a marriage cannot handle us worshiping ourselves and using somebody we're supposed to be loving in order to pursue our own glory and our own fulfillment. I think marriage is also cracked under the weight of worshiping our spouse. Sometimes we enter into marriages thinking, expecting that that other person will be able to meet every need we have for love and value and identity, but there are some needs only our creator can meet. And we put another person in God's rightful place and expect they'll be able to fill this God-shaped hole inside all of our souls, and there is that hole inside all of our souls, then all we're going to end up with is disillusionment, disappointment and discontentment. Because if we look to our spouse to fill our tanks in a way only God can, we're demanding an impossibility. But we all do it. And if our motivation for serving or submitting or blessing another person is the, this, this internal belief that our worship of that person can somehow equip them to be what only God can be, we're eventually gonna crush them under the weight of that because it just doesn't work. And so sometimes inside of a marriage, we serve because we're worshiping ourselves or we're worshiping our spouse. And I think there's a third thing in a marriage we're tempted to worship too. And it's not the kids. I know some of the men in here are thinking, are you sure? Because my wife seems to really love the kids for some reason. But we're going to talk about that next week, like how to deal with your kids. Kids, we're going to talk about how to deal with your parents, just how to family. And so if you have a family, you're not going to want to miss next week. There's some good stuff for you. But this third thing I think we're tempted to worship is the marriage itself, the idea of it, this picture in our heads of what it's supposed to look like. And we put the relationship up on a pedestal and then we serve and submit because we're desperate to conjure up some sort of reality that looks like the fairy tale in our minds. And we take our marriage and we're like, we just, we love it and we cherish it and we put our time into it and we just cling to it. And then ultimately we just kill it. We just rip it apart. and like, oh, I killed it. I killed my marriage. And it is so much like Tommy Boy with that dinner roll. It's not even funny. And it's tragic because we started out with this goal of having the picture perfect marriage. And then we worshiped the marriage and it all fell apart. And it fell apart because that was a bad goal. Having a picture-perfect marriage is a terrible life goal. I know that sounds like an insane thing for a pastor to say, but bear with me here. If that's your ultimate purpose in life, if the chief aim of your life is to construct some sort of perfect relationship with another person, eventually that's going to point your eyes and your heart in the wrong direction. And you're going to begin worshiping something that isn't God. And as soon as you elevate a good thing, and allow it to become a God thing, you are going to crush that thing under the weight of your worship. Now, don't get me wrong. I want a great marriage. I do. But a great marriage is the byproduct of a life aimed in the direction of living and loving like Jesus. So that's why marriage needs to be a submission competition, because that's what living like Jesus looks like. 
and because he's worthy of us spending ourselves for the sake of other people. It's not because our spouses are worthy. I promise you 100% of married people ever are not worthy of being submitted to. They're not worthy of us giving our lives to, but Jesus is. And he invites us to love one another like he loves us. He modeled that for us. At the Last Supper with his disciples, he knelt down and he washed their feet and then he looked around the table and he said, hey guys, a new command I give to you. Love one another. And they're like, that's not new. And Jesus is like, well, I'm not through. As I have loved you, love one another. As I loved you is a whole different level of love. Jesus just cranked it up to 11 and they had no idea while they were sitting at that meal what it meant. But in a few days, they were about to watch Jesus submit his life to death in love so that we could be forgiven and set free. And Jesus invites us to love each other with that kind of love. And so that's why marriage needs to be a submission competition because it looks like Jesus. And the more we look like Jesus, the more we live fully and die fulfilled. The second question, what does this submission competition thing even look like? Well, Paul answers that for us right after he tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verse 22, we read, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay. There's a lot in these few verses, and some of it feels offensive to our modern consciousness. It's an easy passage as a pastor to skip and be like, I'm not talking about that. But we would miss so much beauty if we did, because some of the stuff in there that causes us to, to step back a little bit is actually beautiful if we understand what it's saying. If we, if we get this picture of, of what God is really inviting us into, it becomes powerful for us. And the th- crazy part is the, the stuff in here that makes us feel awkward actually makes us feel awkward because of the stuff in here. This is sociology. This is just like the history of the world over the last 2,000 years. The world began to view marriage differently because of this passage. It was so revolutionary, it changed the game. And so it's these words that make us step back and question these words. And I think there are a couple reasons for that and a couple key takeaways here about what a submission competition looks like. And the first one is this, a submission competition means putting each other first in an effort to be last. I mean, the thing that that jumps off the page for us in our 21st century American consciences is that idea that wives should submit to their husbands because the husband is the head of the wife, right? We hear that and we say, huh? 
But 2,000 years ago, every woman who heard those words would have said, duh. Why? Because there was a law in the Roman world called patria potestas. It meant that the man had legal jurisdiction over his wives and his children. He owned them and they were his property. And so when Paul says, submit to your husbands, they're like, yeah, otherwise he will sell me or he'll trade me or he'll have me arrested. I don't have a whole lot of leeway to not submit to my husband. So the question is why 2,000 years later do we read that passage and say, huh, instead of duh? It's because of what Paul wrote next. Because Paul said, yeah, and husbands, you need to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And you're like, hey, Paul, question? Um, not a question, statement. I don't know. Jesus died for the church, man. Paul's like, yeah, you better believe he did. And it changed the game. It gave us a bigger, better vision, a revision of who he is and who we're made to be. It helped us see that every single human being on this planet is created in the image of God and loved infinitely, which means in marriage, we have different roles, but equal value. And if there's not a hierarchy of humanity inside of a marriage, then we can both submit our lives to the other person in order to add value to them rather than use our role within the marriage to squeeze value out of them. And again, this isn't something we do because they deserve it. And it's certainly not something we do because they're owed it. But sometimes that gets a little bit messed up. I know people who read this passage and they get to the part where it says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And they decide that that must mean the husband is the Lord in this relationship. And it becomes a power thing. And I don't know if those people have read the rest of the Bible, but you guys, I'm not trying to be Jesus for Jenny. I don't think that's a thing I can do. That's not on, that's not on my task list from the Lord. And also, I'm pretty sure he's got it covered. But if that gets twisted and either of us start pretending that I can be what only God can be, then our marriage is going to crumble from its very foundations. And don't get me wrong here. I'm all for men being men. Every man in here, be the best, strongest man you can be. But I know too many people who are trying to build a marriage on a strong man rather than a sovereign Messiah. Look, I'm a sinner, not a savior. I don't care if you're The Rock or or Schwarzenegger. You are not strong enough to build a marriage on unless it's built on Jesus. That thing is gonna crumble. And if your marriage isn't built on Jesus right now, you have some reassembly that's required. It's that simple. It has to be grounded on who God is and how God loves us or it will fall apart. And what's more, if if Jesus is serious, right? And I'm supposed to love Jenny, not just in the way that I wanna be loved, not just the golden rule, treat her how I wanna be treated, but I'm supposed to love her the way Jesus loved me, then it's pretty clear that she is not my property to be used in the pursuit of my personal agenda or my preferences. We live in a world that will constantly drag us in the other direction, constantly tempt us to leverage people for our sake rather than leveraging ourselves for their sake. But Paul could not be more clear here. Your wife is your partner, not your possession. Your husband is your man, not your Messiah. And once we get that, we can begin to submit our lives to one another and spend them for each other's sake because that's what love looks like. Love is self-sacrificial inherently. Greater love has no one than this and they lay down their life for their friends. Jesus said that. So the only way to love the way God loves us is to love sacrificially. You know what else is self-sacrificial? Leadership. We get hung up sometimes in Ephesians 5 on this 
idea that the man is the, the head of the wife. And we think it means that he has greater importance or greater value. But it's not an importance or a value term. It's a leadership word. And the thing about leadership is that in God's economy, leadership looks like getting to the bottom. Leadership looks like self-sacrifice. Leadership looks like carrying the weight for someone else. And look, leaders in any arena of life have authority only as it relates to the mission they're leading. Your boss doesn't have authority over your dinner plans tonight, just over your work tomorrow. A high school principal has some authority over what happens in the school building, but they can't drive off the grounds and pull you over for speeding. Leaders have authority only as it relates to carrying out the specific mission they've been given. And the mission of marriage, Paul could not be more explicitly clear in Ephesians 5, and this is echoed again and again and again throughout the Bible. The mission of marriage is to be a submission competition. So the authority that Paul's giving men when he says they are the head here is the authority to die for the sake of their wife. It's not authority beyond that to be some sort of a dictator who uses your wife because you got your preferences confused with God's mission. No, it's authority to live out the mission of God, authority to sacrifice yourself for the sake of the other. And the thing is, Paul's inviting wives to do the same here, or the same thing, to die for the sake of of your husband. And you guys, there's so much beauty in that, in deciding to submit to one another like we submit to Jesus, to just love with the kind of passionate, unyielding, selfless love that caused him to lay down his life for us. Because when we do that, we can start living through this lens of, of what can I give up for her? What can I give up for him? How can I die to myself for their sake? And I, just, I challenge you, if you're, if you're married and you're sitting here this morning, ask that question. What is life to you? What are the hopes and the dreams and the desires and the expectations you need to lay down in order to die for your spouse? How can you start living through the lens of what you can put into the marriage rather than what you can get it or what you can get out? It's an important question. At least, the, I think, the, the second big idea from this passage for Paul about what marriage is meant to be. It's, it's designed to be so selfless that you work as a team. A submission competition means moving in the same direction together. Like we're clued into that when Paul says, well, I've submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think it's hilarious that he uses the word own there. Like we would have been confused about whose husband we're supposed to submit to otherwise. Like, well, who, which husband am I supposed to? Your own. Oh, like straw poll, show of hands. How many women in here have ever been tempted to submit to someone else's husband? We don't want to even submit to our own, let alone Carol's. So what's Paul doing when he's like, hey, submit to your own husband? He's saying, hey, you got to put, or you got to choose each other before any other. Specifically in this culture, he's saying, before your dad, before your brothers, before your family of origin, you got to choose your spouse. You got to make your bay your bay. All right, hashtag that. Make your bay your bay. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5. And he's inviting us into this, this new way of living where we're constantly pulling in the same direction together. And he's kind of reminding us that we don't really have an option. He takes us back to the beginning. He's like, hey man, when God created the world, remember what he said? He said that two people aren't two people anymore. Once they get married, two become one. And that kind of complicates the idea of going in opposite directions, right? 
Everybody stand up for one second. Just humor me for, for a minute today. Would you stand up? Here's what I want you to do. When I say go, I would like you all to move to, to that wall, the north wall of this gym. But then at the exact same time, I would like you to move to the south wall, just that, that wall and this gym. Just when I say go, move your body to both of those walls. Are you ready? Go. No one is doing it. Sorry, I'm, I'm sure someone on the live stream is doing it. Thank you for at least following directions. This is a, talk about your epic fails. Um, maybe, though, and I could be wrong, but maybe this is kind of a picture about, of what one flesh looks like. One flesh can't go in two directions. You guys can sit. Thank you so much for participating in Revision Church Calisthenics this morning. But look, in marriage, we go together or we don't go. That's God's design. But I'll be straight with you, my marriage doesn't feel like that all the time. Sometimes it feels more like a game of tug of war. Anybody relate? You got two people with two opinions and two agendas and two sets of feelings pulling in opposite directions, feeling like if I don't win, my life is going to be less than I want it to be. But here's the thing about tug of war. Usually, in the end, both sides are dirty and tired. The last time I played was at my kid's field day at school. I played Mike versus an entire class of first graders. And I'm glad there wasn't a video because I lost badly. And I was all muddy and I'm looking at my shoes and I was mad. But then I realized I only had two options. Either I lose and I get mud all over me, or I win and there's a whole string of crying, muddy seven-year-olds and I'm a jerk. It's like this is a lose-lose. This was a bad idea. The only way for me to win that day was to choose option three and just drop the rope and not play. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's the way to win in your marriage. Drop the rope and go pull in the same direction as your spouse. Otherwise, you're going to end up muddy and tired. The best piece of marriage advice I ever got came from my friend Michael. He was one of my youth leaders growing up and We were in Seattle because my best friend from high school, Ryan, was getting married. And the three of us were golfing. And Ryan said, okay, what's the best piece of marriage advice you guys got for me before tomorrow? And Michael didn't hesitate. He jumped right in. He said, oh, it's this. When you fight, not if you fight, when you fight, you got to ask and honestly answer this question. Are you moving toward me or away from me right now? So conflict's inevitable in marriage. It's it's healthy even. But every time that happens, you got to ask whether you're fighting to win against the other person or whether you're fighting for your marriage to win against the things that will destroy it. Because winning in marriage isn't like golf or anything else in this universe. There's not a winner and a loser. There's two winners or two losers and no third way. There's only we, not me. And I promise you, if you're pulling in opposite directions, you will lose every time, even if it feels like you're getting your way. But if you drop the rope and you go pull in the same direction as your spouse, even if it feels like you're compromising and you're not getting what you want, you'll win every time. And I will never forget hearing those words on that tee box, and I've lived them out for the last decade. It's absolutely true. And I think the question for us this morning is whether we're willing to drop the rope. I honestly think in the spaces where your marriage needs some reassembly, in the spaces where where things are broken, there is no hope until you drop the rope. And I get it. I'm married. It's scary to drop the rope first because you don't want to lose. Because you're asking that question, how in the world could I be expected to do 
this if I don't know whether she's going to do it too? Like, how, how can I love my wife like Christ loves the church if she doesn't submit to me? How can I submit to him if he's not loving me like Christ loves the church? How can I do that if I don't know what it's going to cost me? And the answer is that every single one of us can do it just like God did. When Jesus dropped the rope and moved toward us without any guarantee that we would reciprocate his love or move back toward him, he dropped the rope first because that's what love does. It's what love looks like. It looks like putting the other person first. And so that's what a submission competition looks like. But how do we do it? Because it seems like this beautiful, cool, totally impossible vision, right? At least if you're anything like me. Like living a lifestyle of self-sacrifice where I'm constantly trying to figure out how I can add value to Jenny and not how I can get value out of her. That doesn't seem like something I'm equipped to do at all. I've lived with myself my whole life. I know what I can and cannot do, and I cannot do that. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking that, you're absolutely right. You are. This is, like, this is a thing we can decide to do once or twice or a few times, but it's not something we can be or something we can become all on our own. That's the bad news. But the good news is we're not even supposed to. That's not really what Paul is challenging us to do in this passage. And we know that because of the way it's written. Check it out. Verse 22, this part where it says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord is a nonverbal sentence. In Greek, it literally says, wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. Which means, grammatically, we got to take the last verb Paul used and smash it into that sentence because he's still using the same verb. And the last verb he used was the verb submit in verse 21, hupatasso. It's this Greek military term that meant sacrifice yourself and your own interests for the common good. But, and if you were here last week, you might remember this, hupatasso in verse 21 is conjugated into its participial form, which means verse 21 is absolutely not the beginning of a whole new section about marriage. It's the end of a whole run-on section where Paul's describing what life looks like when it's lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because it's a subordinate clause, we have to hang it on the last main verb. And the last main verb is found in verse 18 when Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because all of this is not a to-do list from Paul. All of this is a picture of what a spirit-filled life and a spirit-filled marriage looks like. This lifestyle of self-sacrifice is not a lifestyle lived by our own power. It's a lifestyle lived on God's power. And it's a daily journey of coming to God and asking him to fill us up so that we can pour ourselves out for the people we love. I think that's so liberating. Because marriage is not easy or simple. It is not downhill the whole time. And so much of the advice we get from our world and our culture has to do with things we got to do in order to chase this picture of, of marriage that we want. It's, it's rules and checklists and tasks. And if you can just get all that stuff done, you'll have the storybook marriage. But deep down inside, we know that's not true. And Paul's telling us, you're right, it's not true that's not going to help in the long term because this is not a doing thing this is a being thing this is about being all God designed and dreamed you up and created you to be it's about living and loving like Jesus and a flourishing marriage one that's a submission competition where you're blessing each other and adding value to the other 
That's the side effect. That comes along for the journey. And I love it because that means I don't have to fulfill all the deepest needs of Jenny's soul. I can't do that. Only God can do that. And I don't have to expect her to fulfill all the deepest needs of my soul because only God can do that, which means the greatest thing I can do for Jenny is chase Jesus. It's worship God, it's seek him, it's allow him to transform me so powerfully that I begin to see her the way that he sees her and see me the way that he sees me. Because when that's the lens that I'm looking at her through, that I'm looking at me through, that I'm looking at everyone around me through, I can find beauty and purpose and hope and meaning and life in giving away my life to make her more. And I wanna let you know this morning, if we can begin to do that, to live and love like Jesus, to chase him before and above anything else we're chasing, then we can begin to reassemble the parts of our marriage that are broken. And we can begin to experience Like not without some serious failures and bumps and bruises along the way, but we can begin to experience the flourishing and the future God has for us. Will you just pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for giving us one another. Thank you for the gift of marriage, this beautiful opportunity to get just a small glimpse of the intimacy for which we were created. Thank you for the way that you love us and the example you set for us of how we can drop the rope how we can move in the same direction together toward the lives and the meaning and the purpose and the mission you have for us. And God, I pray for all of us today that you do something powerful inside of our hearts, that you'd help us see the world so powerfully the way that you see it, that we're willing to give our lives away for the sake of the people around us because in doing that, we find life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.